Welcome to the third episode of season seven of the Simplify and Multiply show. And today we got Kevin McCarthy and he is Mr. On Purpose. And he's going to talk a lot about creating a brand that he actually registered and how he's used that to build his business and write a lot of books. Let's listen to what Kevin has to say about writing a book that builds your business. If you are a solopreneur and want growing your business to be easier, welcome to the Simplify and Multiply show. Hosted by award-winning creative, business development expert, and tactical coach, Terry Pappy. The Simplify and Multiply show promises to become your practical, tactical, and motivational guide to succeeding as a solopreneur. Hey there, Solo. I'm Terry Pappy, and I created Simplify and Multiply to provide you a place where you can discover how to make your business more profitable. I'm going to do this by helping you remove the complexity from marketing and business development. So if that sounds good to you, listen in. Hey, Kevin, welcome to the Simplify and Multiply show. What are you doing there with all your Steeler garb? So my listener, I got to tell you, when Kevin first came on when we were doing this session, because, you know, we, we see each other, right? We've got the video component, but you're only hearing the audio. So he had on his terrible towel was wrapped around his neck. He had on a mask, you know, face mask with the Steeler logo on it. He's got a black T-shirt with the Steeler text logo on it. And I wouldn't be as far pressed to guess that he's got Steeler boxers on as well. Oh, and his Steeler hat. Yes, and he had a Steeler hat. He had to remind me because he took some of it off just so we could hear him. So, Kevin, how is it in Steeltown? And you're not even there. <laughs> no, I'm not. But one of the things we do share is we're both from Pittsburgh. We're both Pittsburgh Steeler fans. And it's kind of fun to be able to uh, look back on those roots and still celebrate that and and carry on this, this winning tradition that, um, of course, you and I are of an era where Maybe more me than you, but uh, when they were losers, it was the it was the oh, same old Steelers true. with the same old Steelers. They're just a bunch of losers, <laughs> and and talk about a turnaround of a franchise. And it was mm -hmm. m Mean Joe Green and Chuck Knoll that did that. That's right. They they, That's they brought right. in a culture to that organization and and frankly to that town when it needed it the most. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, it's a great legacy story um, related to that that franchise for sure. And we could probably make this whole episode about the Steelers, but I think I'd lose about forty percent of my audience. So right. <laughs> anyway, so I had you on, Kevin, uh, this particular season because you have got quite a, an array of wonderful books um, on your Amazon list, and you have been writing for what thirty years now, as far as publishing books. I think what was your first one in ninety one? It was nineteen ninety one. Yes. Yeah, ninety one. You came out with uh, your first on purpose person book. And what I'd like for us to accomplish on this conversation, in this conversation for our, our listener, is for them to really see the connections you were making in not only what you were about in business, but what you were really passionate about and how you used your writing skills and bringing it through the publishing channel to extend what you were about and really drive home everything and how that's also grown your business and impacted your business. So why don't you just start with the the original uh, conception of or inception is probably the, the better word. I'm thinking of the movie Inception, such a cool movie of the whole on purpose thing and like what was stirring in you 
uh, back in the late 80s and 90s, maybe even before then, that really brought this into like, okay, I need to do this as books. Yeah, well, let me go back way back, if you will, in terms of being 12 years old, 13 years old. Kevin, and, we don't have that much time, honey. And, yeah, and I'll, get, I'll move fast. <laughs> and and it was, uh, I read the book, I'm Okay, You're Okay. And that began for me. Oh, great book. A journey of personal development that continued from age 12, 13, all the way through today. And during that time, I read all of these books and they, and occasionally they would reference purpose. You need to know your mm. purpose in life. And I kept seeing that and it was like, but nobody said how to know your purpose in life. And so fast forward to about 1989, I think it was, actually maybe 1990, right around that time frame. Uh, I had gone through a lot of business transformation in my own life where I decided, you know, I was in commercial real estate development. And then I went into more strategy in commercial real estate. And then I realized I was doing more strategy work for clients than I was real estate. So I began to be doing much more of the, the, the business strategy for individuals or for companies. And then right. what I realized is with the individual, usually the owner of the business, what I saw was this disconnect between who they are and their business. And what I, I began to recognize is if the business was just this attachment over here, that their heart wasn't always, their heart was in it, but their heart really wasn't in it. And if I could make a meaningful connection between who they are and their business and how it makes a difference in the world, then all of a sudden, a whole lot of problems in the business start to take care of themselves. Interesting. Okay. So it was just, there was an, almost an organic transformation that would occur without having to do lots of training and, and, and other things that you would traditionally do mm -hmm. in a business. Like the hard way. Yeah. Okay. And, and so it was sort of a back door into strategic planning. And uh, so with that, I recognized uh, in, let's see, it was 19, like I said, 1990, a client said, would you come and speak to our group of real estate brokers at our convention we're having in Florida? I said, yes. She said, we'll pay you $250 to talk about it. We've got That's a- That's big money big back money. in 90. Well, back then, I guess. Anyways, <laughs> I don't know. It was for considering the amount of work I put into it. So I, I ended up, they, they handed me a strategic planning workbook that was three inches thick. And they said, if you could summarize this. And I was like, first of all, this is like Fortune 500 strategy work. And people, small business people, really real estate brokers are, are solopreneurs. Right. And so they're not going to read this. They're not going to do it. They're going to take the time. They don't, have, they don't have six months to do this. What if I created a simplified business planning and strategy process for them? And it was there. It was at that she said, go for it. And it was at that event, which I did, I think it was May 9th, 1990. I did my first on-purpose program. Wow. So prior to that, I recognized that I, I saw the world differently, that I understood that purpose, vision, mission, and values are the language of leadership and strategy, but they're confused. So I began to clarify that. I then created my the, the on-purpose principle, which is the purpose of the person aligned with the purpose of the organization, which I consider that to be kind of the scientific or the organizational development equivalent of Einstein's E equals MC squared. Mm -hmm. I mean, once you see it, it's obvious. But believe right. it or not, in 1990, when I'm talking about stuff like this, I mean, it was so radical that the CEO of the company that had hired me said, I don't want him ever back here again. The stuff he's talking about is, is, is just, it doesn't fit strategic planning. 
And so that, that was the sort of reception I got. Yet everybody that was in the session, if you read the, you know, what the reports that came back or the feedback, right. people loved it. Because they, they got it. They got it. They loved it yeah. because it was it was like this meets me where I am as a small business owner. Yeah. And um, and I, I there's things that I can put in place today, and so with that I recognized that I had something that was meaningful to people. I needed to clarify my voice further than what I had done in just that workshop. Mm-hmm. So and I also recognize that with the on purpose principle, the purpose of the person aligned with the purpose of the organization, right. that you need to break into that element in some place. So the place to break in for me was at the personal side, because your business is an expression of your life, particularly for a solopreneur. Absolutely. And and, you know, it's <laughs> I, I love that you touched on that because I am like super confronted with that right now, like really drawing some correlations between my like my personal relationships and my relationship with my business. And they are so like mirrors. It's a it's remarkable. And yet as a solopreneur, I always and even my clients do this. We look at our business as a separate, distinct entity from us, even though it's how we express ourselves. But it is so interconnected to who we are. And that's why it's so funny because when my clients do like, you know, I have them give me some feedback, like if we're doing a kiss marketing map and they I ask them, you know, what are you looking for to work with in a client and who's your ideal client? And they put all these characteristics. It's like they're talking about themselves, which I think is fantastic. I mean, it's like I'd love to do a study on that someday. It's like when most solopreneurs design like this is my ideal client. They're actually describing themselves, which is really funny. Anyway, I just wanted to like punctuate that because that is just so resonating with me right now. What you just said. Yeah. And, and, and in fact, it's no different than you know, a business is an expression of who we are. No different than how we spend or invest our money, yeah. um, uh, how we treat people in relationships. And so, again, mm-hmm. I, you know, part of the development of this message for me was how do I help people know their purpose? And if I can help them know their purpose, then the expressions of that in the various areas of their life will only be more meaningful and more deeply rooted in who they are and who they were designed to be. So it's the process of being, which is what purpose is, and it's the process of becoming. And so it's that ongoing, which is moving you towards a vision you have for aspects of your life, and then living it out, which are the missions, and then uh, making right choices, which are your values that are there to guide you. And so this idea of aligning your purpose, vision, mission, and values, and then uh, once you have that, creating a plan to give expression to that. And in, in a business owner's case, that plan becomes a business strategy, which translates into a business model, which then translates into a communications plan, a marketing mm-hmm. plan, all you know, uh, the things that Terry, you're so extraordinarily gifted at because see you've got a great instinct for the strategy for pulling that out of people and as a result you're able to translate that into the marketing side in in and getting it to them in just the right way because i think one of the biggest challenges we have is that people don't it's hard to see ourselves oh my gosh i've got that problem big time yeah well we all do and so that that's why you know something like uh the pappy club where you're in a group with other people and Mm -hmm. and other people can tell you about yourself uh it's fascinating years ago i went to uh, a long weekend 
retreat with a bunch of small business owners. We paid, I paid a lot of money for this event mm -hmm. and it was amazing. I sat there with these people because I've got this type of gifting, much like you have. And I did branding work for half the people in the room who, because they couldn't, they didn't understand who they, they were or what they were. Their own. Yeah. And the guy that were in it, I mean, he's still a friend of mine to this day. I mean, he's, wow, it, that's cool. So it, it's that sort of a thing that, the ability to crystallize it and to distill it down to the essence of who you are. And that's really why I do two word purpose statements because it's that crystal clear, crystal clear. You're either on or you're off your purpose. Mm. And what I love about what you've created with on purpose, Kevin, is you've distilled it down just like that first workshop you did. You've distilled it down to a model that is easy for people to get regardless of what their frame of reference, whether they're Johnny off the street or if they've got an MBA and a marketing degree. Um, it's something that like it's suit and here we are super simplifies and presents it in such a way that that it is something that can cascade into strategy implementation and all the things where it becomes truly useful uh, in a business. And, and that's why it's such a great place to start. So let's talk about when you brought this into doing books. So obviously you're, you've discovered this and created and curated this model and you're excited about it. You've delivered it live, continue to deliver it live, use it as a strategy model when you're working as a consultant with companies. Where did the whole book idea come in and what was that looking like back in 1991? Well, uh, again, I'm going to go back a little bit in history. Um, when I was uh, 26 years old, 25, 26 years old, I decided to go back to business school and um, I had a really bad interview at the school that I eventually ended up attending, which is at the University of Virginia called the Darden School. Uh, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> and uh, I, I was so distraught leaving that interview that I was driving. You, today, you, you would just not tell your, my kids to do this who are about that age. Um, I, I had a yellow pad out. I was driving down the interstate, going back from Charlottesville to Pittsburgh. And I was writing down what I wanted for my life. Wow. And one of the things I wanted in my life was to write a book someday, to hmm. be known as a worldwide expert in something. I didn't know what, but I wanted to be the best in the world at it. And so... Just the, a small goal at, at your mid-20s. Yeah, that's... Well, but I mean, that's... If you <laughs> we're don't so want... idealistic when we're in our 20s, aren't well, we? <laughs> but, but I mean, but today I am. I mean, I'm the world's leading expert about purpose exactly. and being on purpose. I mean, there, I, I, exactly. there's nobody that knows it like I do as far as I'm concerned. And, and uh, I test it every day. But <laughs> aside from that, um, so that's where the idea of writing a book from. I can't say that it was necessarily a strategy mm. uh, because at the time I had a commercial real estate and business strategy business that I was doing. And writing a book was just something that was there. It was just, uh, I felt compelled. So there were a lot of personal reasons why I felt like I had a message that was in my heart. And if I didn't get that message out, uh, that I didn't want it to die in me. Mm. And so I yeah. felt compelled to write it. And Love so the, uh, the ironic part about all of this is that my wife and I had gone through many years of infertility and she gets, she's pregnant. So what would happen is I would uh, steal away at night the book, uh, you talk about some of the challenges of writing a book. I would work, uh, and I work long hours anyway, still do, but I would uh, stay up, have dinner with my wife. We'd you know, watch some TV, visit, whatever. 
and and then she'd go to bed. Uh, she's always been an early to bed and late to rise person. <laughs> and so uh, from 10 o'clock till three o'clock in the morning, I would write. Wow. And, and my, Kevin. Poof. Yeah. And my wife would say she jokingly called the book my mistress <laughs> because I would go in, into the this other bedroom and she kept saying to me, how late were you, were you up last night with your mistress? And I said, I was up till three last night and I'm getting up at <laughs> seven or eight. You know, I'm I'm. I'm, and then I do the whole thing over because I just right, I right. need to get this out, and uh, and so it's funny in the book, uh, the front end of the book. There's the only time I ever say anything negative. I say it in the positive. I say I want to thank my wife Judith, from whom during the writing of this project I never heard a discouraging word. I never heard an encouraging one either. <laughs> she, she was kind of like, why don't you put that energy into your business instead of writing a book? Because. I'm not an author. I, I've never written a book. I'm a yeah. I'm an undergraduate degree in finance with a major, you know, with business and economics, and then I have an MBA. So I'm not a writer. Uh, but yet I wrote this book, and I wrote it in a story format because I wrote it for me, mm. for who I was, trying to figure out what my purpose in life was and how to organize my life around that, so I'm on my purpose rather than off my purpose. I want to push pause for a second because I want to draw out something for my listeners. So did you hear what Kevin just said about I'm not a writer? So he had a story in his head that he is not a writer and he justified it with his degrees and his focus in career and in college, et cetera. And how many of you who are listening to this are saying the same thing? I'm not a writer. I'm not an author. And allowing that to keep you from expressing yourself. And Kevin, what I love about you just kind of like ended that with like, I wrote it for myself. And that's almost like kind of a workaround around that mindset that can keep you stuck and keep you in fear, in a state of fear, where you're not just sitting down and letting it come out. And I, I'm telling you, writer's block is buried in that belief, in that story. And so whenever you feel writer's block, if you're working on a book now, your first or your 15th, that is where writer's block comes from, is the story in our head that says, you're not a writer, you're not good enough to write, and you have nothing to say. And those stories will kill you as a creative writer. And so I just want to point that out. And thank you, Kevin, for kind of putting it that way and, and telling us how, how real that was for you. Um, and so what were some of the things you did to overcome that in addition to just kind of taking this really creative approach to writing it for yourself and writing it in the form you did? Well, I, I think you're, first of all, I want to emphasize you are absolutely right about what you just, that's great advice. Okay. Uh, some of the things I did is I just, I just muscled my way through it. I yeah. got to remember this is back in 1990, 91, uh, when I'm writing this book and, uh, the other thing that was sort of an interesting thing that made it happen is my wife said to me at one point, I'm pregnant. And I was like, well, if I'm ever going to write a book, I better do it now because I heard once you have kids, you don't have yeah, time for anything. <laughs> so, so that was also, you know, sort of one of those things that was that moved me yeah, a little bit um, along the, the way. That's just sort of a personal side of it. Uh, but what I did is I just muscled my way through it. And back then I had a Macintosh that was a little, it was the original, it was the second ever Macintosh. They the made, little box. Yep. The little box one. And um, I wasn't very comfortable working on the keyboard at that time because I was, uh, I had to do remedial typing when I was in high school. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you were the hunter pecker. <laughs> I, I wasn't even that. Uh, but anyway, that's a, the, the so I, I wrote it out longhand 
And then uh, on a yellow pad, I tend to like yellow pads, still do. Uh, I, I wrote it out longhand. And then I would type it in that night, and I would edit, and I would work, and I would I would work it through, and then I would that was refine your process. it. Yeah. And then I would just do that next thing, and the next thing, and, and it was interesting because I at one point I walked out, uh, and this took, I think I started in August. I finished the book by February because Judith told me in August that she was pregnant. In February, Charles was born. February of 1991. And so I was determined to finish the book before she gave birth, which I wow. did. And that's a that's a imposed deadline. <laughs> yeah, and and then um, what happened was I, I finished the book and I let it sit because uh, now we you know, now I'm a dad and I've got these things going on. Finally, I, I said I got to get back to the book, and I realized that the book wasn't finished. So it was as actually, in finished, complete writing it, or finished it. You had more to say. There was I, I kept saying I wasn't comfortable with the book. There was something I was unpeaceful about. And mm -hmm. finally, I realized that uh, I added what is basically the last couple chapters to the book, which are what I call the giving chapters. So it was really called, you know, if you do all of this stuff to be on purpose mm. and you don't give, um, all you've done is you've created a self-idol. And so the, uh, the idea of a two-word purpose statement begins with, I exist to serve by, and there's this, mm -hmm. these three components of God, however one chooses to find that, because it's a God-given purpose, God, self, mm -hmm. and others. And I realized mm -hmm. that I was stuck at self because I was a self-help guru. That was what I knew, right. read, studied. Oh, that makes sense. And, and I realized that I had to go to that next place, which is helping others. In other words, once you've learned how to do it, it's time to lay breadcrumbs down for others to follow, much like what you're doing with Simplify and Multiply. And, and the Pappy Club is, you know, you've taken the depth of your experience uh, over all these many, I shouldn't say, over these few decades. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Just you, a couple. That's right. And you have... Um, distilled them and now you're duplicating you're it's you're multiplying mm -hmm. in that regard so that's that's the idea that when you get to that point you now have an obligation and uh, and i don't say that that's a you know you have to but like i think a burden obligation i, I think yeah. it's, it's i think it's just naturally you want to give it back mm -hmm. and so you reach back and you bring others along with you so i got a question for you do you feel that your experience of becoming a dad allowed that giving portion of the book to fulfill? Uh, no, I don't know that necessarily becoming a dad was that part of it. It was more a matter of, I think it was really my father was one who was very generous and charitable. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was just, again, sort of coming out of that. Now you've got to remember I'm writing this book at the time I'm like, uh, early 30s, maybe mid 30s, something like mm -hmm. that. And I, I'm, I'm coming through that 20 stage where it's just, you know, you're so trying to figure out yourself and then you're yeah. starting to try to establish yourself in your 30s and all of that. Uh, so I think I was very self-centered at that time um, mm. uh, about taking care of my family, myself. And so it was all of these things. So that, yeah. that was where I was in my worldview. But yet I understood that the long-term big picture is you want to be a giver. You want to be able to contribute um, in, in that regard. So I think it was just sort of a, a family upbringing. Terry will be right back with the rest of the show in just a moment. Whether you want to write a book to help build your business or it's simply a passion project, 
writing is a powerful form of creative self-expression. If your ideas will transform the lives of others, what are you waiting for? Let it pour out of you. A writer's journey is just that, a journey. Be honest, be real, and most importantly, be yourself. But if you're struggling to get it done, confused about how to tie it into your business, or dealing with a chronic creative block, get the guidance to get it done. If you want the creative fuel, the nurturing, and the challenge to make your book the best it can be, Pappy Club is the place for you. Join Pappy Club and discover how you can express your perspectives through something that strengthens your brand, your business, and supports the lifestyle you want. Try it for free by visiting pappyclub.com, and that's P-A-P-P-Y-C-L-U-B.com to sign up now, and I'll see you there. Yeah, I was just curious because the way you uh, talked about the timeline, it was, you know, that that unfinished part happened after you became a dad. And I was like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I wanted to ask about that. Well, I will also say as a writer, I've learned, I set artificial deadlines on myself now. If I have a book that I'm trying to work on uh, or that I'm working on, I will say I'm going to have this book done by December 31st. And I have literally worked on New Year's Eve's till 1159 working on a book. And maybe yeah. the next day I, I get it. Um, and I'm talking about the first draft, just getting the thing done. Yeah, just front to just, back. And, yeah, And then the I'll first pass yeah, yep. January, February. I can do edits if need be. Yeah. And that's kind of an interesting thing. To, I mean, there's so many aspects around writing that you and I are both very well acquainted with because we've done it. We've banged our head against the keyboard many, many times. And it's hard when you're writing to not edit as you're writing or do a paragraph and go back and reread it. You know, it's just you've got to let the flow go. So there's a little mini tip for my listener. <laughs> yes. So let's talk about the business side of it, Kevin, because this is, again, all about writing a book that builds your business. So we, we get that, you know, you've connected with your passion. You've brought this forward into this model and you've tested it and it works. And then you you write this first draft. As it relates to what you were trying to accomplish in your business, did you have a strategy or did you just like, hey, I just feel this needs to be in book form. I'm just going to bring it forward. And then you just kind of let it cascade from there. Well, in fact, I, I did the latter rather than the former. Uh, mm -hmm. In fact, I, I, print, I went to a quick print place here in Winter Park called uh, it's now American Repo Graphics. And uh, I said here I went 12 copies. I was in a group of uh, CEOs. And I had uh, had it printed. I handed it out to those twelve guys, and that was the extent of my marketing. That was what I was going to do. I, I just said so that was your readership. <laughs> yeah, well, it was kind of like I said. If this change, I always said, if this changes one person's life, then it's. Oh my it's God, it's so funny you say that because that is exactly was my approach when I wrote my first book. Yeah. If I can impact one person. That's all. I'm good. Yeah. Well, anything well, else is icing. <laughs> well, what was interesting is I handed the book out uh, with a pa paper clip on it in one of those big. I don't know, whatever they're called, clasps or whatever. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't bound or anything. And uh, one of the guys that was on a Thursday, Friday morning, I get a call from one of the guys and he said, I read your book last night. I drove it over to a friend of mine's house. I told him to read it and call me. We sat on the phone and talked for hours about this. And... Mm -hmm. um, he has said, told me he's already reread the book this morning. He said, that book has just changed this guy's life forever. And I was like, no well, kidding. You oh know, my God, Kevin, that's huge. Yeah, it was huge. It was like, well, there's affirmation. I said, I'm done. 
yeah, there's my guy. <laughs> I'm done. You know, it was like, okay. And, and so that's, and, and, and so what's interesting is that same guy about six months later, he said to me, what are you doing with your book? And I said, nothing. I'm done. He goes, <laughs> and he looks at me. He says, that was it. I published 10 copies. All right. <laughs> and now what was interesting is people started calling me. Other people would start calling saying, I, I heard about this book you wrote. Can, how do I get a copy? All from this one guy? No, well, all these 12 group? guys. These 12 okay. guys. There was another guy in the group who said, oh, man, I, I read this book. I love it. Uh, I mean, I could just tell you story upon story. I won't. But uh, this guy took it to a group, a men's group that he was a part of at his church. He got 30 copies, bought them from me. He said, could you put a cover on it, maybe a binding? So <laughs> could you I, make it like a real book, please? No, it, I, it would look like a cookbook. It had the plastic binding. I love it, the coil binding. Yeah, it's just the plastic <laughs> coil binding. And so um, anyway, from that, it starts to grow. And, and then the people are calling. And the next thing I know, it's it's a year later, and I've sold a 1,000 books. Oh, my God, Kevin. And it's just like, well, I mean, I mean, recognizing the book has sold over 300,000 copies and is now in multiple languages. I don't even know how many copies it's sold. It's in Audible. Uh, so we've got it on tape uh, i haven't heard the audible is are you doing the audible no i'm not because because it's a parable i needed a mm. voice actor okay so that makes sense yeah so that i hired, a, hired yeah. a voice actor to do that he did the on-purpose person he's done the on-purpose business person and he's also done chief leadership officer yeah and just for our listener i, I just want to interrupt you for a second explain the parable format of writing because they may not uh, be aware of of that particular Way. I'm sure they've read something in parable, but not, don't really understand it from a writing perspective. Yeah, well, a parable is basically a narrative or a, sto a, sh a short story. Uh, the, the beautiful part about parables is you're not really doing like a novel or deep mm -hmm. fiction. It's, an, it's considered a nonfiction book uh, because it is, it's telling lessons in life. And really, that's what a parable is. It's a lesson in life or a moral tale is another way of thinking about it, where it's not so much about the development of characters so much as it is communicating a message. Yeah, and using the characters to model the message. Right. Yeah, well, the, where you have like the guide and then you have the learner, and the learner is the one who's learning all the messages that the guide is delivering. Yeah, now it's a very hard style to write in. So if, the, if you're just I writing... I can imagine. If, I've never tried it. <laughs> I, can't, yeah, it's, I can't. It's much easier to do a how-to book. Uh, the, the beautiful yeah, part... that's more my style. Yeah, yeah, the beautiful part about the parable is I get to argue with myself. <laughs> and me knowing you, I can see why that's yeah, well, pleasurable I mean, for you. Well, see, what happens is I can set up a character who's the protagonist and he can, and right. the hero, and he, he or she can go through this process... And then they have people that come along that are derailing them or are putting up obstacles for them or uh, saying, no, that's not the right way to do it. And now I can have an argument and, and defuse their arguments. So it's really kind of an interesting way. Or you can also have people who are really guides. Uh, I mean, I know you're a story brand type person. What's really unique about uh, the on-purpose person follows that exactly. I didn't know that format, but it follows it exactly with one exception. You did it without even knowing it. <laughs> right. With one exception. Instead of one guide, there's one guide, but there are that guide has seven other guides that are trained in this process. 
So it's actually sort of an interesting idea. But again, part of what I did when I was, I will say I'm a strategy guy. So even as I'm writing the book, I am thinking in terms of business. I am thinking in mm. terms of teaching this. I am thinking in terms of how to help people. So it's not like I just wrote this thing that just came from my heart. No, I had an audience in mind. I had very specific disciplines around it. Um, I, I was thinking in terms of what could I do with this? You know, could I teach with this? Could I um, uh, train? You know, could I speak? Uh, what are the options that are there? So I had a very specific outcome that I was kind of hoping for, but I, 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 I kind of put that off to the side because I didn't want to become so commercialized in my thinking that I uh, lost yeah. that I lost the spirit of the message. Mm. That's powerful. That's really powerful, yeah. you know, because it is easy to take, like I could see me taking one of my models and then, you know, making it like building a case around it. And then, oh, well, I wrote this book and, and this is why you should do it. Cause I, you know, cause everybody's like, oh, write a book. It's like the ultimate legitimizer, right? For you. When in essence, I look at it more how you used it. It's just a, a new extension or a, another channel that you can express and help people understand what the model is and what this particular thing that you're super passionate about is all about. Yes, absolutely. And, and so that's, you know, and again, everybody's going to have a different message, a different, and again, I think what you just said too is I, I'm a model builder. So I tend to see things in terms of how do I doc document something that's complex, make it simple, mm -hmm. and therefore I can show it to somebody else and they can multiply it. Mm -hmm. So it goes right back to your premise, which is so wonderful, the simplify and multiply. Uh, because if, in fact, if somebody can't multiply it, I actually look at it and say, it's probably not a very good model. I like that. And particularly if you're a solo entrepreneur, at some level, you may only want to be a solo entrepreneur for a season mm -hmm. if you have aspirations of a bigger business. And if you're not thinking in terms of multiply, then uh, you will forever be a solopreneur, which there's nothing wrong with a lifestyle business. Don't get me wrong. Right. Uh, but um, if you want to have it multiply, and the, the other reason you want to have it multiply is something called passive residual income. Yeah. If it can multiply, then you can be earning when you're not, when you're sleeping is sort of the way that it's described. Uh, and unless you have that multiplication factor built into it, you're not going to have that. And what I found is, I mean, even to this day, I will get royalties on that book. I bought the rights back for my publisher in 2008. Mm -hmm. uh, but I will get royalties from Amazon on a monthly basis that run anywhere from $400 to $1,000 a month. And that's saying a lot because typically the royalties that the writer ends up getting, whether you self-publish or whether you... Um, you know, go with a traditional route are, is minuscule. Like I make pennies on my books, like yeah. two, like yeah. two pennies is what I make on mine. <laughs> but I didn't get in it to make money. I got in it for the sole purpose of just having another channel to express what I felt I needed to express and, and serve others. Yes. And, and so it matched the same way I did. Like I said, it wasn't necessarily a big strategy for me, but it was a matter of sharing a message. And I think that there's a there is a purity to that where if you if you purely put it into your brain as a business proposition, it is a business proposition. Don't get me yeah. wrong. But if you put it in your brain, then it's a business proposition. First and foremost, uh, you will not sell many books. 
uh, because it'll be all about you. But whenever you can move it to the audiences and their needs, and, and ideally, if you've got, uh, you know, sort of the, the persona that you, know, you would be teaching them about, Terry, uh, uh, the persona, who's the person that you're writing this for? Mm-hmm. And, when, and even to this day, I won't say the guy's name, but I had a friend of mine who was going through hell and back in his business, in his marriage, and some other situations. And when I was writing that book, I kept thinking of this particular person in terms of how he would receive this. And Mm, even though I wrote it for me, I wrote it for me to get it off my back. I Mm. wrote it for my buddy to to transform and to help him transform his own life. Uh, Wow, that's pretty cool. I could see how that could be really valuable because you're not only downloading what's in your head and heart as you're writing, but you're also litmus testing it against this, this ideal reader. And, you know, it, it's a little challenging because you're making a lot of assumptions. But the fact that you had that in mind as you were writing, I could really see how that was allowing you to bounce back and forth on some of the things that you were creating and like, would this serve? And would this, is this clear enough for this person? And is this something that's actionable? I mean, all the questions that we ask as we're trying to provide, uh, especially in the nonfiction, only in the nonfiction world, that we're trying to provide to serve and help and guide and inspire uh, through writing. Yeah. And it's just basically good marketing. I mean, if you think about it, if you don't know who your audience is, and again, I struggle with this. So I, I, this is the, you know, I'm not the, the, the model on this because I'm all over the place because I've got personal and business and, you know, I've got, it's, so it's, it's, I'm scattered in many ways with it. It's all about on purpose, which is the process, but mm-hmm. who am I serving? And so I have to always get in my mind, which audience am I working with right now? Once I lock my audience in mind, I'm, I'm really good with that. But the thing that's nice is when you have one person in mind who perhaps personifies or an amalgamation of maybe two or three people that you're doing. And now whenever I write, I actually create a character and I write a backstory. Yeah, that's what we do in in fiction writing. Yeah. Yeah. And so that way I know, you know, in fact, the, the in chief leadership officer, I actually wrote five or six generations back into this person's life because I just needed to. It's the only way you I can describe it. Yeah. You know, that didn't take me but 15 or 20 minutes to creatively put that together. And it's not heavily documented. But I did write it out. I do have it on a Word document somewhere. Um, <laughs> uh, or actually, I use a different platform for writing. I, I use uh, Scrivener, if you're not familiar with Scrivener. Scrivener, yep. Mm-hmm. And so That's somewhere in my Scrivener file is the backstory on this character and then the backstory on that character so I've, I have learned to add over time. I didn't do this in the beginning. I just wrote. Uh, but at, over time, I've learned the power of just having a character and an audience profile. And I write true to that. The problem we have in, in both our marketing as well as in our writing is a lot of times we want to talk to everybody. We don't want to exclude anybody. Yeah. But see, the beauty for me with the on-purpose person is even though I had a specific person in mind who was the main character, because I had different characters that he met, uh, one, it starts with a young, it starts with a college professor, but then that college professor sends him to see a schoolgirl who's in high school. And she's a senior in high school. And he goes to her home where her father is. Okay, so, so I want to make sure it was a safe place. Yep. 
And then she sends him to, uh, I, I can't even remember, but it's uh, she sends him to. But you've got a cast of but characters. There's a cast that of characters evolve, yeah. who literally represent from teenage to retirement. Yeah. There's a mother. So there's a lens for every reader. Yeah. Correct. I like that. So Interesting. That was just sort of a technique I did in, in trying to broaden my cool. audience. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And and I could see how that would play out through the parable form really strongly. And I just want to say something that I thought of to the listener. One of the resources that I find super valuable is to be involved with Writer's Digest. And Writer's Digest, when I was learning the whole, you know, becoming a professional writer, writing books, publishing, all that stuff, Writer's Digest was an amazing resource, and they've got a magazine, podcast, I mean, everything. But what they've done is they've also created uh, – it's been a while since I checked in with them, so I'm sure this is a little outdated. But I bought a, a lot of their books that literally give, like, the how-to of writing uh, a fiction and developing characters and all of these things. And it was so, so helpful for me because I did write – most of my books are nonfiction – but I did write one book that is a mystery thriller, and I did it just for the fun of it, right? I wanted to just take on, can I, you know, I, I love reading those kind of books, and I just went on this kind of like jaunt where I just wanted to write fiction. And uh, the book I wrote is called Trojan Murders, and it's a murder mystery, you know, like with all the typical cliffhanger stuff and everything, and it's set in Washington, D.C., but I used everything that I learned in all those books, plus going to writers' conferences. I mean, I really dove deep in it. I interviewed fiction writers, et cetera. And one of the things that I wanted to point out to you, my listener, is that getting resources like that, and in particular, learning about the aspect of developing characters. So for every, you know, I had a character for one, all of the nine Enneagram uh, personality traits. So I made sure that it was really well-rounded, kind of like what Kevin was just saying about his characters trying to represent all walks of life for the most part. And so he could really resonate deeply with with readers depending on who they were and where they were at. And so when you do that and when you have the time to really understand who's going to be holding that book in their hands and sharing that story with you, having those characters developed uh, for your story writing, whether you're doing Kevin's style with parable or whether you're just doing more straightforward memoir style how-to practical stuff. Uh, it can be really, really helpful. So that's one resource I just wanted to point out is Writer's Digest. You know, get your hand on some fiction instruction and just see how that adds dimensionality to the work you're doing uh, in your, in your nonfiction piece. So, yeah, but I, again, I would say if there's any advice I would offer is, um, make your first book a how-to, unless you really are you know, an English major who understands a whole lot of that. Cause that is, I, I would not recommend starting with a parable unless you're a really good storyteller. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, because at I some agree. level you want this to be a business card. I mean, yeah, I hate to point. say it that, bluntly but that's really what right. it is it's a business card that you want somebody to pick up and they say wow i i like the way this person thinks i like the way they explain things i now believe that they know what they're doing they're trustworthy incredible mm -hmm. and all of that and so but what you don't want to do is make it a sales brochure correct uh yeah. you really want to give some of your best stuff uh, mm -hmm. In fact, I'll tell you, an interesting person. Here in Winter Park, there was a guy that created a huge company. His name was Philip Crosby. 
And Philip Crosby was one of the quality gurus. There was Deming, Duran, and Crosby were the people that everybody talked about with the total quality movement. So I had a chance to sit down with uh, Philip one day, and I asked him about his book. And, and he said uh, uh, when he started Philip Crosby and Associates, he'd retired from his company. He wrote a book called Quality is Free. Put it out there. It sold really well. He got a call one day from IBM Corporation, and they said, we'd like to hire you to come and help us with our total, our quality program. And he said to them, you can't hire me. Uh, just read the book and apply it. Because he'd put everything he thought that was important in the book. He said, the book's got it all. And they said, um, we don't, we've read the book, but we want you to help us apply it. And he said, look, it would take a million dollars for me to do that. And they said, okay. Oh <laughs> and Philip said, he's, I'm sitting there talking to him. He said to me, I'm like going, holy mackerel, I guess I've started a business today. <laughs> so he got, a hold of, he got a hold of three friends of his and said, hey, let's go do a consulting business. And we're going to start working with IBM. So he was in his late 50s when all of that happened. Oh my and, and Philip Crosby and Associates grew to be a hundred and. $20, $130 million business, which he sold, and then he bought back, and then he, yeah, it, wow. it, it was just fascinating. What to a hear. great story. But see, that's what I say, is if you put your good stuff out there, it's kind of yeah. like, the, the the bottom line is you can't put enough of your good stuff out there, otherwise you're going to put a book that's 20, 20 miles long, you know, it's just, yeah. nobody can read it. So actually... You, you want to give your really good stuff, your thinking that's out there, let people mm -hmm. see that, and then they're going to look at it and say, wow, I want to talk to Terry Pappy because she's so smart. She knows she's forgotten more than I know about this. I can't learn it fast enough. Mm. And that way they'll embrace what you're doing. And I don't care whether you're selling flowers um, or whether you are – uh, doing consulting services or graphic arts or whatever it may be that your solopreneurship is around. Uh, and again, it, it, the other nice part about in today's world is you do not have to write really long books. Uh, yeah, that's true. You could do a 10, uh, you could do a, 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 a 10 to 25 page book, put it on Kindle uh, for a buck and a half or three, $3 or something like mm -hmm. that, or get and have a free giveaway and uh, you're off to the races. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, make them make them easily consumable, and uh, and I, I like that example you gave about about Philip. That's really an interesting thing. And you know, we us little podunk writers think, oh, it'd be great if I could write the next Harry Potter or get recognized like Philip did, and and I'd get a huge gig from IBM out of it. And here's the thing: whether or not that even happens, the possibility of it happening becomes real when you write a book. And Kevin, I so appreciate you being here and telling us about On Purpose, your journey, and what you've learned uh, in your writing. And uh, I'm so happy that we're friends and that you came on today to share your wit and wisdom with my listener. Thank you. It's just a joy to be with you. And I hope everybody out there finds their voice by clarifying it through writing. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for joining me. You know, being a solo can be incredibly rewarding when you have the right guidance, resources, and community to help drive your business vision. The great news is that's exactly what you'll get with Simplify and Multiply. You've just listened to another episode of the Simplify and Multiply show with Terry Pappy. 
If you want to get free marketing and business development tips, templates, trainings, and more, head over to simplifyandmultiply.com and sign up. Learn how you can grow your business the easy way. That's simplifyandmultiply.com to join our growing community of amazing, talented solopreneurs out to simplify their business, multiply their income, and make a big impact in the solopreneur economy.